say it was unexpected was an understatement, to say the least. I was worried that Viv might take him out then and there. And from the look on his face, he was almost certain of it. He made no attempt to run, though. He had the look of a man who had accepted whatever fate would befall him. Now, normally by this point, Vivian has protested that she wasn't going to kill him. Even though we both know that if she'd been alone when she found him, she might have. She's grown a lot since then. Anyways, this man surrendered to us almost immediately. James was naturally suspicious. While the druidess was curious, and Viv excused herself from the room to go check on the rest of the building. He relaxed a little when she left, but I don't think the others noticed. James started the questioning, and I joined in, steering the conversation away from Viv and towards what he knew of the thing we were looking for. The answer was not a lot, because he came searching for something else. But he was able to point us towards some documents that may hold the answer. Then he got up to leave. When we asked where he was going, he said he was going to find Vivian. She deserved answers that only he could give her, and that he would take whatever he had coming, because it was no less than what he deserved. None of us knew what to say to that, so we let him go and turned our attention to the documents. I wasn't worried for Viv's safety, but part of me worried she would give into the darkness she had fought so long to control. So I took my stack of journals and notes and sat outside in the hallway. Far enough that I couldn't hear the conversation, but near enough that I could step in if needed. That ended up not being necessary, but it was a good call. You can get back to what you were doing. I can take it from here. No, I think I'll stick around for a bit if you don't mind. Uh, I had a feeling you would. You're hard to get rid of. (laughs) That I am. It's one of the things that you love about me. Debatable. Now, shush, and let me tell the story. When I went to find some quiet and some privacy, I did not expect the man to follow me, but in hindsight, I'm not surprised. We both represented a dark chapter in the other's life, and we both sought some form of closure. He knocked first and waited for me to invite him in before stepping through the threshold, moving slowly and keeping his hands visible at all times. It did cross my mind that I could end him then and there, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized it would not accomplish anything. It would not undo what had been done, it would not bring my mother back, and it certainly would not make me more human. So instead, I set my weapons down beside me and asked him what he was doing here. He said he knew who I was and that while he could not change what happened, I deserved a chance for answers. It felt like there was something else he was not saying, so I waited until the nerves sent the words tumbling out. He wanted to meet the woman born from his greatest mistake. Whether he meant including my mother in the program or tossing her out like yesterday's leftovers, I could not tell, but 
He seemed entirely sincere and so wholly unthreatening that I gestured for him to join me on the floor. He carefully lowered himself several feet away, not yet ready to enter my space. Then he waited, allowing me to start the conversation. So I told him to start at the beginning. He had been the one who did the initial testing to see if my mother would be suitable for the program. There were quotas that they had to meet, and his silo was running behind, so even though he saw the signs that she had recently become pregnant, he made no note of it and approved her for the program. In his mind, it was early on enough that the process would ensure the pregnancy was not viable for long. When he came back to check on the batch she was in a few months later, he was shocked to find the pregnancy was starting to show. Even more so to see that the child was alive and she would soon be ready to give birth. By this point, so much demon's blood had been through her system that she would die within days of being disconnected. He became afraid about what happened if people found out. Then he pondered the implications of others, realizing that a child survived the blood transfer process. And he realized it could lead to something even more terrible. So he ordered my mother removed from the program and dumped somewhere he knew the wildlife would find her. Then he took a trip to a neighboring town to visit family, trying to distance himself from what happened. But try as he might, he could not escape the thought of what could have happened to that child. To me. Then, when there were no reports of the body being found, he became even more afraid. It was a combination of that fear and the uncertainty of what his superiors would do with the information if they had known what happened that drove him to make some excuse and then disappear into the forest. He had been on the run ever since, letting the world come to believe that he was dead. He shared the same fears that I did about what might happen if the world knew that I survived. Much less what I could do. Which, in fact, he asked me very few questions about. When I asked him about it, he seemed uncertain of how to respond. It was then he told me of his ailment. All of that time around the demon's blood had shortened his lifespan, as it did with all. And based on the signs, he didn't have long. Yes, he had done terrible things, but he had given up everything to make it right, and here he was trying to give me the closure I needed. And I was on my way with my friends to find something to bring it in to the carnage and death that ruled our world for so long. Perhaps the first step to finding that peace was to give this man some closure in return. So I shared my story. I told him what my life had been like and answered his questions. It was an odd conversation and I don't think he and I would ever have become friends. But by the end, there was a sense of peace in the room. Or at least contentment. Maybe acceptance? 
I don't know. Sam came to collect me after a few hours to let me know they had found something, and I excused myself from the conversation. Before we left, I told the man where he could find other communities to join, and when no one was looking, I gave him a small vial of poison for if there ever came a day when his illness became too much. It could also be sold for a nice price, enough to buy a comfortable new life just about anywhere. Do you think he ever used it? I never saw him again, but... I like to think he was able to buy himself a good life with what time he had left. I also think it's time we moved on with our tale. We're almost at the end, after all. You have been listening to Ceasefire, the story of the end of a war that did not end the world. This story was written and produced by Brianna Jean as part of Pseudonym Social a creative podcast network changing reality one story at a time. In this episode, you can hear the voices of Brianna Jean as Vivian, Zadkiel Basky-Huff as Sam. You can support all of our productions over at patreon.com slash pseudonymsocial. To get more information on this or any of our other shows, check out our website at pseudonymsocial.com.